Pastors Larry and Tiz welcome you to another New Beginnings Church podcast. Go deeper into God's Word with practical messages and lifestyle studies that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Get ready to be fit for life. Good morning and welcome to Fit for Life. Uh, my name is Pastor Nancy Cole and uh, I've, for the last two Sundays, this is my second one, we've been talking about the lineage of Jesus. Um, I have to be honest with you, I've selected uh, Rahab the harlot because she's always been one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But um, I was in the kitchen talking to Pastor Scott this morning, um, the kitchen that's by Pastor Larry's office, not my kitchen. <laughs> and um, I told, he asked what I was teaching on, and I told him, and he said, oh, that's really good. Now, you remember how Pastor Larry teaches us there are four levels to understand? So he starts in with that, about the four levels. And I don't pronounce them, but anyway. Um, and he said, that's part of that revelation in that teaching. And it's like... Okay. And then he said, you realize, of course, that those women that are named in Matthew were all Gentiles. I know, I know. I acted like I knew that too. Um, And we'll go through, you know, and I'll, I'll explain that. But they were all Gentiles and they were women, which in the culture of the Jewish community, women were not necessarily listed and certainly not Gentiles. And Pastor Scott said that that's the, 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 the secret that's there as far as there's no male and no female and no Jew and Gentile. And it started in Matthew 1, verse, well, it starts in 4, naming all these people. So I felt really good that God had led me to teach this and that I had a chance to talk to Pastor Scott <laughs> and realize that this is more important than what I thought. It's not just about Um, having forgiveness and not looking at our past and dragging it with us because some of us have had colorful pasts, but realizing that, oh my gosh, that many centuries ago, God was saying, no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile. We're all one new man. So let me open in prayer and then we'll get to our lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, first of all, that um, you have given us in your word so many levels of teaching. Thank you, Lord, that you have made it known that women are important to you. Thank you that you have made it known that Jew and Gentile will be united. Thank you, Father, that you have made it very plain. Thank you for this class. Thank you for the people that have shown up and the ones that will be listening to the podcast later on. We love you. We bless you. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I didn't teach on the first one that's listed in the genealogy, and I thought I should mention her. Um, The first one is uh, Tamar. And I didn't talk about her because she really, I mean, some of these had colorful pasts, but she really had a neon past. And um, the reason that she was mentioned is that um, the activities and the things that she chose to do were all Jewish customs, and she was righteous, just real quick, you know, if she married a man and he died because he was mean, and then the, the culture was that if you were married to a man, then you were given to the next son. And so she was given to the next son, and he was mean, and so God killed him too. So she was going to the third son, and the father-in-law, Judah, decided he didn't want that guy to die. So he sent her home, and he stopped what was considered righteous um, customs for how to take care of a Jewish woman and family. 
So that's when she dressed up like a prostitute, and it's a sordid story. But anyway, she did have children, and she did the righteous thing. And in the Bible, it says that she did the righteous thing. And when she confronted her father-in-law, who's the one that she slept with, um, you know, he said, I'm, I'm at fault. I'm at fault. You did the righteous thing. So she's the first one. So we won't go into a whole bunch of details on that one. But nonetheless, there, there it is. The second one then uh, listed was Rahab, which is my favorite. And again, she was in the culture that was always at war with Israel, but she believed. That was the first thing that she did. She believed. She heard the stories about God, and she believed that what they were telling her was true. So the third one then is Ruth. We're not going to talk about her today, but Ruth, um, you know, she was not a Jewish woman. She came to Israel with mm -hmm, her mother-in-law. Oh, excuse me, Ruth was mother-in-law. No, Ruth was Boaz's wife, yeah. So she wasn't Jewish, but she was blessed. She has a much sweeter past. You know, she was loving with her mother-in-law. She traveled and stayed with her mother-in-law. She did what her mother-in-law told her to do, even though one of the instructions was very odd. Um, the Boaz, who was going to be her husband, was um, kind of at a harvest time, and the mother-in-law told her to go in at night and lift the blanket off his feet and put her feet under the blanket. I got to tell you, as a high school girl, that story made me very, very uncomfortable. But nonetheless, it was a custom, and it wasn't sexual. It was more of a covering. And so uh, Ruth was covered also. But today we're going to study another one of my favorites, Bathsheba. Now, the story starts in uh, 2 Samuel and the 11th chapter. And uh, King David was more mature at this stage of his life. Um, and when it was time for war, he sent everybody out. But the word, and it's in the first um, chapter 11, the end of the first verse, it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's his first mistake. All I can uh, liken this to is that sometimes we don't feel like coming to church, <laughs> but it's what we need to do in order to be refilled, in order to be with brothers and sisters, in order to have uh, people around us that are going to lift us up. So probably if David had gone to war, this story wouldn't be in the Bible. But he stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, growing up as a Baptist, I heard a lot of um, stories about blaming Bathsheba for what took place. But literally, that woman was in her home, in her bathroom, which happened to be on the roof, but she was doing what Jewish women did. She was taking a bath. So it was not that she was tempting him or doing anything irregular. She was a godly woman. That's where women bathed back then. David saw her, and um, he didn't just look and turn away. He gazed. Yeah. And there's an implication there on the gazing. I don't know how many of you have an um, extreme sensitivity to commercials, but um, they have gotten so blatant away from the biblical values that I even have a hard time watching programs and then having the commercials come on. And uh, early on, when I was getting my healing from uh, cancer, I realized the importance of watching my eye gate and my ear gate. And so um, Honey would probably say I'm a bit fanatical about what I close my eyes to or go la, 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 la. But our culture is so warped. And um, David, if he had had the courage and the 
fortitude and mindset that he had at other times in his life and what he had again, he would not have gazed at her. But while he was gazing, then lust entered in, and he sent for her. Now think about this. Bathsheba is married. She loves her husband. I mean, in, in the biblical story, and I'll read some of it, all the way through, I mean, she mourned his death. She's always referred to as his wife, not David's wife, but the other guy's wife. So she's called for. How do you think it must have felt to her to be violated that way by the king? Talk about a misuse of power. (laughs) And David is just on a slippery slope, and it just keeps right on going down. Oh, I should read the scripture about when she finally tells him, because it doesn't talk much about what she says. Uh, Let's see. David sent, nope, woman. (laughs) Okay, and the woman became pregnant and sent and told David, I am with child. So this is the first reference in this story in 2 Samuel 11 of her speaking. So I'm not sure of the circumstances around that evening. And for God's purposes, it's not that relevant, but he does want us to know that she did send a message to him. Now, rather than David stopping right there, he continues on with this obscene scenario of choices. So he decides that if he brings the husband home, the husband will then go home and sleep with his wife, and then he'll assume that it's his child. So he sends out to Joab and says, send the guy back. So he comes home. Now, this is interesting. He is such an honorable man that he comes in, and David is asking him questions about what's going on out there. And so he gives the king, David, a report about what's happening in the war, the battles that are won and lost, and so forth. And David said, thank you so much. What a phony. David, I love you, but what a phony. (laughs) And then he says, you know, go ahead and spend the night. Well, he finds out that the guy didn't go home. The guy stayed with soldiers that were kind of in town. And then David's like, oh, that didn't work. So he brings him in and gets him drunk. Assuming that when he is drunk, then he'll go home to his wife. And he still didn't go. And finally, he's asked... Why did you not go home? And this is how honorable a man he was. He said, how can I go home and sleep in my bed and have a meal and be with my wife when all of my brothers are at war and they are alone and and, and in battle? He had so much integrity that he did not take advantage to go home and be with his wife. That tells me a lot and probably why she was in love with him. He was a good man. So David doesn't stop there. He sends word out, and he says, I want you to go into battle, and I want you to send um, him out and, and get close, and then all of a sudden withdraw and leave him there by himself. And of course, he knew that when his general read that message, he would go, David. And David said, and when you bring me word that he is dead, you know, it'll be okay. Now, think of what that guy must have thought about David. And if Uriah was such a good, good man. Probably he was well-loved by the other soldiers. Probably they're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. So Joab does exactly what David tells him to do. They go into battle. He sends him out front, and then he withdraws, and sure enough, he's killed. And then he sends a messenger back to David to let him know that there was a horrible battle. And even in that message, he doesn't say, well, I did what you told me to do, and now the guy's dead. I mean, sometimes when we see something wicked going on, don't we want to just kind of go up and say, well, I did what you told me to do, and now, I mean, 
And so this was another honorable man that was coming back and saying, I have some bad news. We were in battle. I sent him forward. We withdrew, and he is dead. And David, realizing, I think about that time, what was going on, he said, you know, thank you. So now he's embarrassed, number one, by the act with Bathsheba, embarrassed about killing the husband, embarrassed that his general knows what he did, embarrassed that the runner that comes back, he's probably thinking, his mind, what the heck? Is, is David going to be mad at, at my general because he did this stupid battle plan? So at that point, David brings Bathsheba into the home. The baby gets sick. We have no idea how Bathsheba feels about this. There's nothing mentioned about her. But this is an important part. David finally gets his heart right, and he starts lamenting and praying for that child. All the servants are going, oh, my gosh, the king. I mean, he's in sackcloth. He's just on his face. He refuses to eat. He refuses to bathe. He's just begging, begging, begging. And you think, well, why is he so concerned about this baby? Well, there was a prophet by the name of Nathan. And God told Nathan to go talk to David. Now, sometimes when we know that we're supposed to deliver a message to somebody, we really need to take time to step back, just like Nathan did, and say, who is this person? And how can I deliver the message of the mess they've made in a way that they can receive it? Now, I don't know, sometimes I would just rather go up and go, okay, David, let me tell you what you did wrong. First of all, bring in that girl in here. I mean, I would just go through what he did wrong. But Nathan's wiser than that. And so he thinks, okay, David was a shepherd. So he really understands sheep. And his heart is still about being a shepherd. So I think I'll use a shepherd story to get the message across. So he comes in and he says, David, I'm going to tell you a story about two men. One was so wealthy and had many, many herds of of sheep. But his neighbor was a very poor man, David. He only had one little lamb. And he loved that lamb so much. He he carried it around with him sometimes. And the, the, the citizens in the area, they sometimes laughed at him because he was so in love with that little lamb. And one night, visitors came and the very wealthy man, instead of going to the, his flocks and killing one of the sheep to feed, he took that one little lamb and killed it from his neighbor and used that. Now, David is a shepherd. David understands sheep, and he understands flocks, and he understands loving little lambs. So all of a sudden, David's anger comes up, and that's when God releases Nathan to say to David, David, you are that man. With that story... David got the message that he had taken the one wife from a godly man, a man of honor, a man who was serving David, and he took her. So David realized, Nathan continued on, the child shall not live. Now, I don't know how Bathsheba felt. I don't know what was going on. We have no insight into that, but we do know that David was heartbroken. He went to God and he said, I am so sorry. I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've done this horrible thing. Please forgive me and please let the child live. Well, all the servants in the house saw how desperate David was praying for that baby. So when the baby died, they were afraid to tell him. It's like, my gosh, he's behaving like this now. What the heck's he going to do when the baby dies? And probably this part of the story is one of my favorites. Because David realized he was so close to God 
that as soon as he found out that the baby had gone, that he was dead, he got up, he shaved, he cleaned, he bathed. And then the servants are looking at him like, David? And he said, I won't see him again here, but I will see him again in heaven. And the reason that is such a sweet thing is because it lets me know that there is a hereafter and that babies that are in heaven are in heaven waiting for us to see them. So it's kind of like this sweet spot in the middle of a very sordid tale <laughs> that lets us know, praise God, there's a heaven. Praise God, we know that when, when babies die, they are home in heaven and we will see them again. So for the first time in the Bible, you can go back and read the story, it refers to Bathsheba as David's wife. So after all of that mess, once the baby had died, it said David went into Bathsheba to comfort her. And then she got pregnant with a second baby. And that baby was Solomon. Now somehow, and I'm sure the environment around her was better than what she'd had in her own home. I'm sure she had a lot more care, uh, better food perhaps, um, a few more trinkets and baubles to wear. So her life um, in the natural was, was good. But God's word tells us that she mourned for the death of her husband. I'm not sure, looking back at all those life circumstances that happened to Bathsheba, I'm not, not sure I would have been that kind. I don't think I would have been able to let go and say, okay, I'm going to be with this man. I mean, he murdered her husband. Her first baby died. She was a young girl. This was her her family. And now she's entering into a home of a rich man that had lots of sheep. There were lots of women around David. So she no longer had that companionship. But she did have the companionship of him for a season. He did love her. And she was able to raise Solomon. So if I look at these colorful characters... Not only are we looking at Bathsheba, but we're also looking at David. And there may be somebody in your life, um, a man, uh, a boyfriend, uh, an ex-husband, a father, an uncle, a grandfather, somebody who has done something just unthinkable in your life and realizing that God will take care of that if we stay on the righteous path. Number one, it was not Bathsheba's fault. It's not your fault. Number two, Bathsheba was taken care of, but somewhere along the line, she had to let go of her anger in order for her to be able to conceive with David after she knew what he did. Somewhere along the line, when she was raising Solomon, she kind of had to keep her mouth shut about what her daddy had done. I know. I know, I would be wanting to say, Solomon, let me tell you what's going on here. When you get to be king, I, wanna, I want you to do something about this. But she kept her mouth shut. She was a godly woman. So that lets me know that no matter what circumstances have happened in my life, if I forgive them, and that does not mean I take them back into my life again or hold them close. It just means that I let go and forgive them. I no longer allow thoughts to rattle in my brain or things or scenarios or conversations. I send that to the pit of hell. I rebuke it when it tries to come in. I take a deep breath, and then I move forward, thanking God for restoration. Because I don't think if Bathsheba had had a revengeful heart that she'd be listed in the lineage of Jesus. Well, let me explain the rest of them that are listed so, we, so you can have this, this foursome here. Um, after uh, Ruth and Bathsheba, then 
Mary. She's not the fourth one because she was Jewish, but Mary is the next one that's listed in, in the chapter in Matthew. So here you have Tamar. What a story that is. Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Four Gentile women. Four women who at some point had to make a decision. Four women who believed that God was God and that the God of the the nation Israel was the God of the world and the one that they wanted to follow. Probably for me, Rahab is the one that um, is most exciting because because of her occupation, she heard a lot of conversations. Gentlemen would come through her brothel and would have conversations about what was going on in the world. So she had heard many stories about the God of the Jewish people. So when those spies came, she knew about it. Bathsheba probably had an understanding of Jewish culture and Jewish history, um, but she probably never realized that she was going to be someone that was going to birth the wisest man in the world, Solomon. And we know that she did a good job of raising him because when God came to Solomon and said, ask me for anything, anything at all. And Solomon said, I need wisdom to guide and rule your people. Now that tells me that his mama (laughs) did a lot of imparting about what is good, what is holy, what is right, so that he even knew what to ask for. It wasn't health, wealth, fame, none of that. And because he asked for the right thing, then God provided all the rest of it to him. Well, whenever you look at the Christmas story, and praise God we're here in New Beginnings, and we know so many pieces of that story that other Christians don't. And bless their hearts, they're celebrating the birth of Jesus, and that's good. So we don't have to fill them up with a whole bunch of stuff that we, that we know. God will reveal it to them in the right time. We made it to this stage in life without knowing it, so they'll be just fine too. But he was not in a, in a stable. Um, he was in a sukkah. And um, they were there because the town was full because of all the things that were going on. And it wasn't a, a reasonable place to be. Um, even the swaddling clothes that it talks about, those were the, yeah, the priest robes. I mean, every single aspect, although we celebrate it and think of it differently, every single aspect is pointing to the fact that this is the Messiah. So as you're celebrating Christmas, looking at the gorgeous lights, having presents or family or whatever, however full your day is or however alone your day is, just realize that God knows who you are. He knows why he had you born at this time in history. He knows what gifts and talents he's already put inside of you. He's not mad at you. And even if you've spent 40, 50 years not doing the right thing, he still has a team of angels that are around you that are going, come on, come on, Deb, we know you can do it. Come on, that's right, move a little closer. (laughs) So he's for us, not against us. He will celebrate you. So as you celebrate Christmas, just realize it truly is the beginning of the greatest love story in the Bible. A God that was willing to come into the form of a man to go through suffering to bleed and die, to go to the pit of hell, to get back our keys and give us the freedom to be able to live a life of righteous. So Merry Christmas. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are our God and that you have revealed 
yourself and your character to us. Lord, we're coming into a season where we do celebrate the birth of Jesus, even though we know he wasn't born at this time. But we celebrate it to be able to share with the world that truly a Savior was born. Thank you so much that he was willing, Jesus, to come down to earth and go through what he went through.